0: Thank you, Eric. Um, It's just an honor to, again, share and just be able to have the opportunity to present to you where God is in in my life. And uh, I got a quick question to start us off with. And I am curious, how many of you woke up this morning and had a perfect life? Finances were just right. Emotions, great. Relationships were perfect. Everything was just spot on. Why are we laughing? <laughs> then your feet hit the ground, right? <laughs> yeah, per, yeah, that's right. So it's interesting. Um, a lot of people tell me about, ask me a question about what, why Victory Lane? Why do you, what do you do with Victory Lane? And a lot of people point to the child that has a disability, and they think that's what Victory Lane's about. And so after ten years of being in this ministry and watching God work, uh, I've learned to share it in a different light. And so people ask me, what's Victory Lane? And I say, we take families that have kids without disabilities and we build them in a community and we teach them to embrace and open their hearts and minds and, and, and everything that we want to do and embrace and accept the child for who they are as God has made them now and then bring them into community. Because if we don't have an opportunity, if we don't have a people, people that understand what these families are going through, then they'll never come into the community. And so it's interesting to, for, to, for you to, to know that the national average for counties is 12 and a half percent of families are impacted by a child with a disability. Henry County, Indiana, 18.5%. Now, that stat was 2010, um, the 2010 uh, statistics, thank you, um, the census. But so that is a, that's a large number of families. And here's the interesting thing that I've learned about them, is many of them don't darken the door of the church. Never will come to where you're at today. And part of this is this is why. So imagine this with you. For some, the more complex ones, it might take them a half hour to forty five minutes. Let's just let's just. I've even seen it take as long as an hour for them to get out of their door and to their vehicle. Then they drive to where they're going. It takes them another hour to get out of their vehicle and into the church. Are you with me? Play with me going back home, same thing. It takes them 4 hours to commit to something. Not only that, but when they get there, multiple times they basically are interacting with the people and they're like, oh, I don't know how to interact. I don't know what to do. And so they will end up saying, "Hey, will you mind sitting with your child in Sunday school cuz we don't know how to handle your child?" And so immediately the they're they become their own babysitter of their own child in their own, in the new church they're exploring, and then the doors start to, why did I even come? I can do this at home. Yeah. So there's this context here that we have to navigate, and there's this difference that we have to look at and say, what are we going to do for our neighbors to open that door for them? And so we're going to talk about this a little bit about how do we recognize our neighbors' struggles in our in, in their life, and how do we accept them, and how do we live missionally in a way to embrace them and, and welcome them into our lives? Because these neighbors are out there. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your community. You just don't see them. Right. And so these are 18.5% of the people that you don't see. Good. We're going to go into... A, A passage of the scripture that opens these doors up to us, and and it's kind of an interesting question of how do you see God's faithfulness in your neighbor's season of struggle? And we're going to dive into Micah chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and we're going to answer three questions. Why, who, and how? And before I jump into this, I have to acknowledge that we have to accept the fact that trials happen to all of us struggles happen to all of us everybody goes through situations and there's many 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 examples in scripture of why why trials happen and so i'm not going to be able to unpack all of this there's a this could be a whole sermon series of why struggles happen but here's a quick nutshell trials happen so that we learn obedience we learn perseverance trials can happen because of cultural judgment God can have a judgment on a culture and he can cause or allow for trials to take place to teach a culture, um, drawing them back to him in his presence. Trials happen because of God's goodness. What? Trials happen because of God's goodness? Yes, because he sees the big picture. He sees something deeper down the road and he's allowing for a circumstance to happen in lives right now because he knows what's going to happen. And sometimes trials are natural consequences. And we recognize that, ouch, you know what? I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And so the trial takes place. And sometimes tri- trials are persecution because of a broken culture. We live in a culture that's just broken, and therefore there's, there's persecution taking place because of the stance that we might have on something that God says is right and the culture says is wrong. And we see that a lot happening in, in our culture today. But let's dive in real quick into what's happening. If you've ever read, read the old looked at the Bible and you say, man, it's too big of a book, I'll never get into it all. Um, the Old Testament's about this much of the uh, of the Scripture, and then the New Testament is about this much. So it's just like, man, there's, there's so much stuff in the Old Testament. So I'm going to give you the Old Testament in like three minutes. So essentially, God said, "I am your king," and Israel said, eh, "Yeah, you are, but we, all of our other people, all of our surrounding towns have kings. Can can we have an earthly king?" And God says, "I'm your king." And they can have, a, can we have an earthly king? I am your king. Can we have an earthly king? Yes, you can have an earthly king. I will give you an earthly king. And so then what do we do? We as a people, Israel, they created golden calves and they said, I, wanted, I want a God that I can touch. And they built these golden calves that they could do. And essentially what happens is God basically sends his messengers to, to his people because God decided in, in, in the big picture of Scripture, what happened? King, Song, excuse me, Song, king Saul, King David, King Solomon, broken culture. Boom, divided. And now we're divided into the king of Judah and king of Israel. And God sends these prophets to prepare their hearts. And so the enti- all the prophecies that you see in the Old Testament are pointing to this time in life when God said to them, I love you. I want a relationship with you but you're not doing it the way I created you to do it. And so what does he do? He sends Babylon. And Babylon comes from the north and the entire book of Jeremiah, he's, he's weeping for his people. and He's saying, don't you see it? God's gonna send you to Babylon. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And Jeremiah is the only one that calls it out. He's persecuted for what he believes in, but he calls it out and guess what? God's love goes after us in those seasons of exile. His love pursues us. His his perseverance, his long suffering is so big that he says to Jeremiah, guess what? You're going to go to Babylon for 70 years. He tells tells his people of Judah, you're going to go to Babylon for 70 years. 70 years is a long time. Back then, it's at least two generations, okay? Okay. There, for most, some of us, it's one. I mean, it can be two, right? It's, it's what happens. So then what happens? King of Judah, bring, or the Judah gets pulled up to Babylon. Now, this is the passage where everybody, this is the context where this verse sets, okay? Jeremiah 29, 11, it's everybody's favorite verse to give. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and harm you, plans to, for a hope and a future. It doesn't, God is not saying to this when you're going to graduate. God is not saying this when you're going into the good season of your life. This verse, the context around this verse is you're going to exile. You're, in tra- you're going to be separated from me for 70 years. You're going to be into a tragedy. You're going to be into a struggle. But guess what? My hope is bigger, I have a plan and it's a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. And then you look at this and say, but why? Why? Why would God, why would a good God allow for this to happen? This is the context of Micah 6, 7 and 8. Because Judah has to go to Babylon and live in this place where everybody is doing sinful stuff. The entire culture is bent on doing wrong and evil and yuck. And yet this is where where God is saying, I'm going to send you there and I'm going to be with you because I love you. Why is this happening? It's this question that runs through this. And you can imagine you're in your Judah. You're like, or maybe you're going through a season of struggle right now. And you're looking at your own life and you're saying, did I do something wrong? God, God, I know what what you want me to do. I'm going to fix it. (laughs) Then God will take away my season of struggle. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to fix it. Anybody else like me in that context? I'm going to fix it, and once I figure it out, then God will be with me. Then I'll have the peace of God. Then I'll have what God wants for me, and my struggle will be gone. Or we say this, if God was really good, he would have prevented this season altogether. I never would have gone into this struggle. I never would have had the battle. Or we'd say, if God was really powerful, he would step in and make it right right now. He'd fix my pain. He'd fix my trial. He would resolve it like that because he can, if he was a powerful God. That's what God would do. But we don't wrestle through this concept that is, why is this season of struggle happening? And we ask the question, if God. So that brings us to this first part. This first part of this verse is Micah 6, verse 7, where he says, why is this happening? Because what did the Israelites do first? They were all about animal sacrifices, right? They would sacrifice the animal, and then all of a sudden my sins would be forgiven and I would be right with God again. Okay, that's the way God set up the system to awaken their hearts and soften their hearts toward him. But the purpose was to do that in order to get to him, not to do the sacrifices. And I think that's the piece that what happens here is we say we've got to fix this. Here's what God's saying at this point in time. The Israelites saying in Micah 6, 7, okay, we're obviously been sent to Babylon, so we've got to fix this ourselves. Will the Lord be pleased with one ram. What if I give a thousand rams? What if I give ten thousand rivers of oil? Then God will be pleased. I just got to sacrifice more, right? Or oh, guess what? I, I'm going to give my firstborn for my transgression. Then the fruit of my body that will make my right, my my soul right with God. And that's what we, our first bent is to put ourselves in the situation of what can I do more in order to fix this trial and fix this struggle? And that's a challenge. Maybe you find yourself here. I thought at this point in my life, blank would be true. But this is what I'm actually living. All of us could probably fill that blank in a different way. I thought at this point in my life, my job or career would be more fulfilling. But this. I thought at this point in my life, and I can relate with this one, my wife would be pregnant. For 12 years... Paige and I struggled with infertility for 12 years. And every single month, we had hope that was crashed. And we said, I thought at this point in my life, parenting would be true. But the empty womb continued to stare at us every single month. And that's what we were actually living. Or maybe this is you. I thought at this point in my life, I'd feel better about myself. I thought at this point in my life, I'd have a spouse. I thought at this point in time, my retirement would be fulfilled with many new memories with my spouse. But yet now, I'm widowed. And we are faced with this reality in this Christian life that we're called to live that why do trials happen? Why do they happen? And I think there's an interesting point here when you look at this and ask yourself, Jesus faced trials. Jesus, our Lord, who came down from heaven to earth, he himself was here on earth. He offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Isn't that a hard truth to wrestle with is the fact that Jesus himself learned obedience? He's God. He should have all obedience right from the womb. He's also 100% man. And in the suffering, he started to recognize and experience life and say, oh, my people are going to go through this, my people are going to suffer, and I need to experience this, and I need to learn the obedience that they need to learn." So God has been through and has been tempted and struggled through all the various things, the same ones that you're going through, and He has proven faithful. Yeah. And He's a faithful witness. He's a faithful brother that has already been through the trials. So we don't have to ask the question if I do enough good things. If I just serve here, if I just start this ministry, if I just give more, because God's already done the work. He's already done the work, and he's already pointing to the fact that God is the answer. Now I want to bring you into this little story, and this is a little boy. Imagine you have all the dreams and excitements of parenting, and you have this birth. And I can't show you, but if you look in the back of the little baby's the uh, back there, you see a, a, a bandage on a brand-new baby. And this little guy was born with um, the ba- bottom half of his spinal cord out of his back. And immediately what happens, what you guys just did, is you went, oh. So I just want to draw that to you. Your first instinct is Pity not praise the Lord. Baby was born. born. But our first instinct is, oh, no, something's wrong. But if we recognize God for who he is, he doesn't lean on our own understanding. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So you look at that and you say, there's some, wait a minute, there's a lot of beauty in this picture. It's a hell, extremely healthy little boy. And you look at that and, and as you start to open your mind to the reality and the goodness of God, you see that God's writing a different story. And so we go to this passage in John chapter nine, verses one through three, and this is where Jesus heals the blind man. He went along, he saw a blind man from birth, his disciple from birth his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind neither this man nor his parents sinned said jesus but this happened so that the oops sorry go back this happened so that the works of god might be displayed in him the works of God, the entire life of this young man that's blind, born blind, is going to be displayed. Yes, in this child, this man's life, there's a healing taking place. There's a healing that, that truly healed this man. But I'm going to ask you a question. Oop, now I've got to go this way. This is a picture of this little boy. He's a beautiful young man, and he's adding extreme value into this community. And trusting God's story in our life always requires a step of faith. There's moments in our life where we have to acknowledge that God's promise is first step, right? Then when there's a problem, we start to say to ourselves, ooh, there's a problem. But if there's a problem, guess what? It's God's problem. It's not mine. God's the one that had the promise. So therefore the problem is not my problem to pick up. It's God's problem to take care of. And if God's problem is the, is the next is the next prop uh, point, then there must be a God-sized purpose through our struggle. Because God is the one who wants to be glorified in that, not you. And so you might be looking at you might be looking at your spouse and saying, oh, I wish I had a different spouse. You might be looking at your situation of job. I wish I had a better job. You might be looking at your situation in life and say, I wish this wasn't happening. I, I wish I had a better church. But there's always a situation where God takes you and puts you through a trial and a season of struggle so that you stop relying on yourself and you start relying on the God that made you for such a time as this. Because that's why God is, that's why God's done it. He's with you in the trial. So let's go to part two here as we dive deeper into this. Because this is it, right? Principle number one: trusting God's story. But we tie, tie this together: God's promise, God's problem, God's purpose. You can take that into every aspect of your life. If you take anything home from this and you take anything, take that and just put just put it on your bathroom mirror so when you wake up in the morning. It's God, I'm having a problem, God. It's your problem, not mine. You take it. I wish I could live this as easy as I could preach it. Yeah, amen to that. So so in Micah 6, 8 here, we have to dive into this whole concept of who lives this way. Okay, we know why, well now we have to wrestle, we've kind of come around to this concept of why this is happening, and now we have to ask, who lives this way? How is this possible to live this way? And we go into this second verse, the second part, the first part of uh, verse eight here, and he says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? And the first thing we think of from a requirement is what? I need my list of things to do right? Your brain just goes, I want the list. Give me the list. and then I'll, be, then I'll be in God's obedience, you know? And it's not, I want to bump you back up to that third, the third verse, or excuse me, the third word is he has shown you. I don't know about you, but I am not a handyman. If there needs, something needs to be done around the house, I am not the guy to do it. All right, just flat out. Now, if there's something that needs done in the house, I can look on YouTube and I can have somebody, and I said, okay, okay, I got about 20% of that. But I'll tell you something. When it comes to handyman, you know what I want? I want somebody who loves me enough and cares for me enough, who's gonna come to my house and show me how to do it. Show me. And that's it. He has shown me. He has shown you. this this is the reality and this is oh man the word oh man in hebrew is actually ruddy and i had a quickening in my heart when i read this and i did this when i was doing preparing and i said oh ruddy that's the same word hebrew word that god used to describe david when he appointed david and he said you're this ruddy ruddy little boy right he appointed it and so he's shown you oh ruddy little boy and what does ruddy little boy means it means the flesh it means oh man this is the fleshness of living and there's this fleshness that comes into this piece where it's this humanness that says I need someone to show me how to live and David did it in the past and Jesus did it into the future this future life that we're called to live was lived by Christ. He came down, he showed us how to live, and he showed us how to live what is good. He showed us the goodness of God, and here it is. What does the Lord require of you? I already showed you how to do it. John chapter 5, verse 19 I don't think this passage is up here. No. So, John chapter 5, verse 19, is where Jesus heals the paralytic. And he's questioned, all these Pharisees are questioning J- Jesus. And Jesus says this he, he points to Father God's presence in his life. And the Son can do nothing of himself. And he points to himself and says, I can't do this by myself. The only reason I'm able to heal this paralytic is because the Father God is doing the healing and I hear the Father God doing it and I'm stepping into his healing. And that's the only reason why Jesus was able to heal that paralytic and step into that situation because of the Father God's presence. And I going back to this, I'm going to take a step back here. Remember, if it's God's promise, whose problem is it? It's God's problem. Right. If it's God's promise, it's God's problem, and then we discover God's purpose. But in the midst of God's pro- problem, I'm going to point you to three things. Okay, There's three keys here, and you can write these down. The first key to not letting yourself kind of own up and start to take it over yourself again, the first key is God's presence. So when you start to wrestle with the reality of God's problem and you start to own it and take it back yourself and say, thanks God, I can fix that better than you, the first thing you have to ask yourself is God's presence with you. And if it's not, you've got to take some time out and spend some time with God's presence and recognize why is God's presence not with you. Because God's a guy that, uh, God is a guy that shows you. Amen. He lives with you and shows you. shows you. He shows you how to live, what is good. Who lives this way? As it relates to Victory Lane, many people think we just do camp. And what you're seeing here in these photos here is a bunch of men that went out to a uh, top, they all met at camp. But then we went to top golf, and we spent some time together, and we showed them Jesus while playing golf. Now kids can do this too. and this is our bowling activity. You can't tell, but the, the girl to the far right has a, has a disability. And, um, but then there's other girls who are showing that the love of Jesus outside of a camp experience and they're loving and showing uh the the goodness of God in a bowling experience so who he has shown you oh man what is good and what does the Lord require of you you know what what the Lord requires be friendly be kind show show my love spend time with people don't see people as a transaction and you know what's hard? I think it's been a hard thing for me as I've been doing this. Um, those of you who may or may not know, I've been living in, I've been doing pediatric physical therapy for 25 years and been started the camp for 10 years. And more often than not, families I've interacted with, they don't want, they just want to be a kid. They just want to be a family. They don't want to interact and feel like they're a part of a transaction. They don't want to be the commodity, they just, wanna, they just want friends. And the parents want friends, the kids want friends, and so God is at work through that. Here's principle number two. Faith is lived along the tension of the now and wow. How many of you have a future wow that you want? Think it in your mind, you think, oh, I can't wait for that to happen. I can't wait for what that is. And we, put the, we think that's living because when I get to wow, then that will be my life. And I cannot wait for retirement. I cannot wait for this job to be my new job. I can't wait. And again, I can't wait to have kids. All right? But guess what? The wow that you want will someday become the now that you're living. Right? And the now that you're living requires faith, and it requires faith in this moment, because guess what? This now doesn't feel like a wow. It feels like a lot of work. But that now moment is the wow you were praying about, that now you're living, and you're asking yourself, God, is this really you? I thought this was supposed to be a wow. And God reminds you, or reminds me at least, you will have trials. And in the, midst of the, in the midst of the trials, key number one is Jesus points to his Father's presence. So key number one is God's presence. Key number two is God's peace. And when you can walk in and know God's peace and you feel it, then you're able to trust in God. And so I'm going to do a... I've already talked about infertility. I'm going to give you a little vulnerability moment here. Okay? There was a point in time in Page and I's life, in our marriage, where we were struggling. We were praying, we were praying, we were praying, asking God to bless us with children. And lo and behold... She's in her car at work, going to work in one place. I'm in a completely different place, different time of day. And we basically hear the same, um, they weren't podcasts back then, but it was just a radio show. And we hear the same message about adoption. And so we come home and we're sitting here at home and we go, you won't believe what I heard today on the radio. And we both are so excited to share it with each other. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, We're supposed to adopt. Is that really you, God? Are you wanting us to adopt? And this is about six, six and a half, seven years into the process. So we start of of infertility. So we start discussing and start praying about this opportunity to adopt. And we start looking at what God's doing. And lo and behold, the first day comes. We go to this adoption uh, seminar and learn about the adoption process. And... In the process, all of a sudden they start showing the price tag, and I'm like, "No way, no way! There is no way I can trust God for that much money. I can't do it. We're going to go domestic, 100% domestic. It'll be less of a price tag. Pages on. Um, we were like 100%. We're going domestic. Well, God has a sense of humor, and." We're in the middle of this adoption proceeding or this me- this meeting and there's a sheet of paper. There's a sheet of paper gets gets passed around and people are just going... F-f-f-f-f-f. And this piece of paper comes to me and I read it and it says toddlers ready to be adopted now from Bulgaria. And I looked at it and I went... Because we were 100% domestic, and I pulled away from the, that day, and I looked at I looked at the situation, and I said to Paige, as we were leaving, on, Page, I don't know what it is. Call it God. Call I don't know what it is, but there was something about that piece of paper. I, we got to look into it. We're not going domestic, We're not going international, Brett. I know we're not. I know we're not. <laughs> but God <laughs> might want us to do this." <laughs> and so we started looking into it why the next when we're busy then we're busy now for the next like basically five months our Saturdays were were blocked with youth ministry and that next Saturday I said Paige the only way it's going to work is if that this Saturday is the Saturday that the the meeting is for foreign adoptions and lo and behold that was the Saturday that we were supposed to go. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details. I can talk, to, I can talk about this for like three more sermons. But God provided the first adoption, debt-free, for his glory, $38,000 debt-free. We did not, we did not pay it. Mean, now, now, I will say this. We had a little bit of a nest egg of retirement saved up, and we dumped it all in there. But that was so small compared to the total cost of what, what the cost was. And, but here's the thing. God knew what he needed to do. And when $38,000 came, the next one was $17,000 debt-free. The next one was 30 debt-free. next debt free. And I'm like, how are you doing this, God? Where's the money coming from? I will show you. And that's it. But God's presence was with us. God's peace was with us. And guess what? It's his problem. Because the third step is God, God, the key, it's his provision. God's God's problem is God's, our solution is this, God's presence, God's peace, God's provision. He takes care of it. He solves it. Now, I wish I could live this every day. What does faith look like in your now, in your well? Because then my parenting, my desire to be a parent became the now, and I had to start recognizing how hard it was to be a parent and how difficult it was and all the joys and all the struggles with it. What does faith look like in your now? Is it your job? Is it your church? Is it your spouse? Is it your pain? Is it your season of trial? Is it your retirement? What is it? Really quick, I want to dive into this, because this is something that really has kind of convicted me as I've been going along and preparing for this message, is a lot of us start to look at this wow now comparison, and we start to recognize God-sized problems and start to take it on ourselves. And we do this in three ways. We do this by keeping up the appearance. Some of us are really appearance-centered, and we struggle, and we say, guess what? I keep up this appearance. I can fix it because I'm now looking like I'm supposed to look. And then I can, God will will step in. And God's word to you is God sees you. You don't have to appear a certain way to be seen. God sees you Just as you are, he loves you, he's with you in your pain, he's with you in your struggle, and he wants to help you through it. His presence, his peace, his provision. God sees you. The second group of people wrestles around with this in a context of one-to-one. And you struggle internally, and you struggle with it so much that you have to go around and get one-to-one support. And say, Eric, will you support me in this? Will you support me in this? Will you support me in this? And we start going around because we're looking for something to complete me. And we are struggling with our own security. And we're struggling with that security and asking for individuals to complete us. So what God's message is for you is I complete you. God's the one that will complete you. You won't find it in your spouse. You won't find it with your new boyfriend. You won't find it with your new girlfriend. You won't find it on social media. I'm the one who completes you. And God is saying that to you because he loves you. Your safety and security is in him. Nobody else. When that problem is solved by God's presence, God's peace and God's provision, God's purpose will unfold in your life. It is exactly what will happen. Now, here's where I struggle, all right? My area testifying testimony opportunity, right? Where I struggle is I want every situation when things when I see a problem, and I don't know how to fix it. I go around and I make this right, I make this right, I make this right, and I make this right. And then once all those things are right, then I feel safe. I can relax. I can can take a break because I fixed it. Because I went around and I self-preserved all these areas that make me feel fearful. Anybody else? That's me. Okay, And that's where I struggle, and I have to surrender and acknowledge that God allows trials in my life because he says, Brett, don't try to build and fix all this stuff. I already got it. Once you find your presence in me, your peace with me, and your provision in me, then you will be able to find your purpose in me you don't have to have everything set up right. And that's the pre- self-preservation process that we go through. Now, this is John chapter 16. He says, where God's saying is the key number two. He's showing you his peace. And he says in John 16, a time is coming, in fact, has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone. This is Jesus talking. For my Father is with me. Even Jesus himself was pointing to the Father's presence with him. And and then what does he say? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. His peace comes into our lives, and therefore we're able to live because God's peace is with us. In this world you will have trouble. Guess what? You will have trials. You will have struggles. You will have difficult moments in time. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What does faith look like in your now and wow and the tension? Are you preparing yourself right now and finding God's presence and finding God's peace and finding God's provision now so that when the wow comes, you're not overly dependent on the new wow? and you're really dependent on who God wants you to be in that new while? It's his presence, it's his peace, it's his provision. That's where our power comes from. It's how we can live in his purpose. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I get it wrong. I get it wrong. I say, hey, when I lack nothing, then I'll be able to be joyful. Then my now will be my wow. If I can make sure that I lack nothing, then my wow will be my now. But God says no. Your trials are there. I'm going to be your joy in that trial. I'm going to be it. And so let's let's take this as an example. You can take this to the bank. You could take this to your to to uh, this to the spiritual realm, and you can tell your trial that you're going to have joy. That's right. Absolutely. So let's let's talk to your trial. Hey, trial. Hey, trial. Hey, trial. 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 I choose joy. I Eh, I don't believe you. Hey, trial. trial. I I I choose joy. Because when you face many trials, guess what happens? You start to get testing. And then the testing of that trial, you have to do this again. Hey, new trial. I choose perseverance, right? And because perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. And now I can rest and not lacking anything. I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to preserve. I didn't run, have to run around and make sure my appearance was right so that everybody saw that I had it all together. I didn't have to go around one and one and one and try to make sure those people like me so that I can be complete in them so then they'll accept me. And then I'll be, and then everything, I I won't lack anything. It starts with, now here's the thing. Does it start with pure joy? No. It's a trial. It hurts. It's painful. You have to choose. You have to consider it You have to take it up here and put it in your mind. And guys, I don't do this very well because it's a game up here and it says I have to consider it pure joy, even when it hurts, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, even when I have to do it again and again and again. And my now that I thought was going to be a wow is actually hard work. But I'm going to trust in God's presence in this hard work. And I'm going to trust in his peace. And I'm going to trust that his provision will unfold. Not in my time, but in God's time. Because through 12 years of infertility, God provided for three beautiful adoptions. And then God said, sense of humor came through and we had a homegrown child. And I look at it and go, only God can write that story. he is faithful. Now, let's wrap this up, I guess, and I probably I haven't gotten to the second, third third portion of here. So, it's uh, God's faithfulness, and it says that last part is, how should I live? Which is Micah 6.8. Here's the to-do list. Now that you got his presence, now that you got his um, peace, and now that you got his uh, provision, now you can ask yourself, how do I live? And so, the third verse the, the third portion of this is "Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God And the question is interesting because remember you go back to this whole tension of living in Babylon and you look at this space it's a, the world was completely against Israel, Israel had the right way to live, the god honoring way to live they're they're serving and all this stuff and honoring God with the choices they made but yet they were living in a pagan culture now that God said bless the culture bless the culture live in the culture do good in the culture but yet there's these situations in the culture where you're going to have tests and this is a test that Daniel faced and Zan- Daniel who uh just to give you more context Daniel actually spent time in as a student of the culture he went to school there, he learned, he was like, elevated into the culture as the leadership, and then all of a sudden he's now in this part of this, uh, um, the fighting people, and the, 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 basically the army of uh, um, Babylon, and Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And so there's this cultural moment here where Daniel's struggling because he's like, I don't really feel like I should probably eat all that food because I probably, number one, it's, not, it's against my, my, my faith structure, but I, I really don't think I'll be healthy with it. And then he basically does something that I think is really interesting here. He actually asks the chief, the chief official for permission. Hey, do you mind if I try something new? And so now god had caused the official to show favor and compassion to daniel but the official told daniel i'm afraid of you my i'm afraid of what's going to happen who has assigned your lord and drink why should you see looking worse than the other young men if you don't your age if you don't eat our good food we have the best food in the world in babylon if you don't eat our good food then you're not going to be able to fight and then here's the cultural push, then the king's going to have my head because I didn't give you the right food. And so now this guy's job's on the line and his life's on the line and he's saying, wait a minute. And Daniel says this, he says to the guard and the chief official had appointed over Daniel and and his tribe, Daniel and his band, "Uh, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. He basically says, hey, give me 10 days. I understand your food's great. And if it's, if, it, if I'm not healthy after 10 days because I'm not eating your food, then I'll be glad to eat your food. But Daniel knew something that God was going to do. And so Daniel pushed into this situation and, 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 and pushed on it. And this is a situation where you, when you start to wrestle into a Babylon culture that doesn't see godly ways... You have to make an offer. You have to press into the marketplace and challenge their their basic thinking. And this is where he's saying, do justly. Daniel's living a just life here, and he's saying, hey, I understand what you think. Let me let, let, let me let me offer you a different option. And so this do justly concept in a culture of finger point pointing, division, Facebook fights, misunderstandings over here. Do you guys know that Facebook and other instru- social media, 19%, just reading in this book recently, 19% of uh, Facebook fights and all the Instagram fights that happen across the country, 19% of the, of the tweets and all that stuff, robots, not even real people. 19%. And so you're getting all steamed up and fighting with the somebody about, I can't believe they said that. I'm going to prove them wrong with my biblical words, and I'm going to drop these Bible verses, and I can, they're going to see my right. You're talking to a robot. 20%, 20% of the time, you're talking to a robot. And I guarantee you, how does Jesus solve that problem? He has shown thee. He lives in relationship with those people. And he shows them how to live. You don't need to get into a Facebook fight. It's not going to prove anything. I've I have yet to see someone say, "You know what? I'm going to come to Jesus just because you put a Bible verse in Scripture on Facebook." But I have seen people come to Christ and come to faith when you have a relationship with them, and they look at your life and they say, "What are you doing?" Why are you different during your now? Why are you different during your now? This now that you're living is different. What's it about? Why do you live like that? You seem at peace. You seem like you have provision from a different place. Why are you different? And so then that pours out of you and you can love mercy. And what does love mercy look like? Love mercy is allowing for brokenness to happen in yourself and in others. Because I mess up every day. And I, my family knows it the closest because they're the closest to me. Those who work with me see it all the time. And guess what? I have to, I have to um, ask for forgiveness every day. I have to pour myself out as a leader and say, I said that wrong. I was wrong and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I wasn't walking in the presence of the Lord. I didn't have the peace. I was trying to self-preserve because I was scared for that moment. Will you forgive me? It may require you to hold your tongue. Love mercy may require you to hold your tongue or your fingers. It may require you to allow for natural consequences to step in and let natural consequences cause the trial. And then they get, oh, ouch, you know what? I needed that. I needed to learn that lesson. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 3, and we'll close soon here. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Principle three, God is good. He opens doors for you to be his ambassador for his goodness. This couple on the top right, they've been to camp multiple years. they got four boys. And the Lord called them here in the last few years to actually um, to foster. And in the fostering process, if you do not know this, there's a big struggle across the state of Indiana and really across the region um, where, where parents um, foster parents that are willing to take special needs kids is very difficult. And this family lovingly has taken two, fa- two kids with disabilities into their home. And God has worked in them. And they've been, they've been able to stand up and do justly and love mercy. It wasn't perfect situation, but they're to love mercy and love mercy again and love mercy again and walk humbly as God bless their family. There's many kids, I can give testimony after testimony of kids in, the, in this church, in this community that have basically built friends in, with the, those that are disabled and, and they're standing up and speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And, and the culture in Henry County is changing because of God's goodness and God's grace because of what God's doing because God is good and he opens doors for you to be his ambassador for his goodness so that you can demonstrate his passion. You can just demonstrate his his presence, his peace and his provision in your life so that your purpose will unfold. That's who God is. Because God's the one that says, you don't have to sacrifice anymore. I've taken it all off for you. I've done it all. He says, let me show you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It's fairly simple. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Amen. Principle number four. Here's our beautiful Alger and Connie and Braxton um, Jules and their, their families here. Uh, principle four is I can learn to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. They, they came to camp last, last year, and they've built a friendship with this family, um, a single mom with her boy, uh, Janessa and Chasen, And the Women's Refresh Weekend's happening in, I think it's in May or somewhere in the next couple months. June, maybe. I don't know. Don't take me on the date on that, but it's happening. (laughs) Um, But uh, Connie and Janessa will be at that, again, continuing the relationship, allowing. Janessa and uh, Jason have been here to church, and it's just an opportunity where they live an hour away from here. Uh, They come to therapy here. They've been to camp. They're already signing up for camp again. And just a blessing to see God at work, God's provision and glory happening in their lives. So a lot of opportunity for you guys. Um, I am actually looking for and just feeling the Lord kind of maybe making a shift or a change. Um, If you've been to camp before as a partner family, the camp that you would sign up if you've been before is the 22nd through the 25th of July, okay? If you have never been to camp, but this moment has kind of drawn on you, and you're like, "Could I do that? Could I learn that?" and and this might be God speaking to you. The July 25th through the 28th, it is a going to be a Tuesday night through a Friday. It's kind—I of, know that's an awkward time—and um, I can talk to you more about why that's that, that those dates out there. Um, but if you're interested in that and that's those dates are dates you can do, we are looking for that. If God moves in your heart and you believe those times are right for you, I'd really like to see if the spirit of God's changing my mind as a leader. And we might, we might be opening that second camp up, um, for the possibility of new families coming to camp because I don't have a problem getting kids with disabilities and their families. They're signing up left and right. As soon as I open the door, I will have 10 families for five slots. But finding the families that are wanting to learn how to love justly, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with them, those are the families that, I, that I'm struggling to find. And so that's what that second camp date is about. Um, call to action. Be present in your neighbor's life consistently. A struggle will happen. Be available and be present. God is writing an amazing story through your lives together. Uh, Support Victory Lane as we train others to live missionally as partner families. April 15th, which is two Sundays from now, or two Saturdays from now, is our third annual Amazing Wheel Race. If you've ever seen the Amazing Race on TV, we do that in Newcastle. And we partner with businesses and places across the city and the county, and we race around town. And it's a lot of fun. It's going to be at um, our office in Bundy. And it's a, it's, it's a car show. There's just a, it's going to be a huge, just a big thing. You know, it's the third D and we're looking for teams. So if you're willing to drive teenagers, young adults, <coughs> if you're willing to drive around town, I know there's some youth that want to participate. So um, last thing is uh, listen to Father God and do what Jesus shows us, showed, showed us. Live and step with justice, mercy, and humility. You let me pray for us, yes. Father God. You are good. You love us so much. You show us your mercy every day, and you lived for us that we might learn to live with others with your grace and the same humility and the same love that you showed us. Bless us each day, Lord, and continue to help us to trust in you and know that you are the one that is writing the story in our lives and in our neighbor's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Brett. Amen. Amen. Isn't that good? Everybody get your phone out. Get your phone out for me. And please consider putting April 15th In your phone, the third amazing wheel race. Consider having a team and going out. Here's where I wanna challenge us all to the message. Brett's gonna be out there if you wanna get involved in camp and all that kind of stuff. But this is a great way to meet new people. And so encourage you to put April 15th in your calendar and, and, and try to do this wheel race thing. And maybe go out in the Welcome Center and consider that the Spirit of God on reaching your neighbor may be that he wants you to get involved in camp this year. Karen and I did it last year, and we had a blast, didn't we? We got to know an amazing family that has become a part of our life, and they are part of our church now, and we love them dearly. And so I just really want to encourage you, ask the Spirit of God this morning, does he want you to get involved in that? And talk to Brett out there and maybe sign up to that, which is going to be coming up. A wonderful mission trip right in our backyard is what camp is. This camp is going to be just down in Rushville in our backyard. It's not going to be at the campground here locally, but it's going to be down in Rushville. It's a great mission trip for your family to walk humbly and justly and to hear God's voice. Amen. So God bless you with that. This week, as we're going through our week, just as a reminder, our reading schedule this week is Acts 17. So we're reading Acts 17 together. And also we're memorizing Psalms 111, verses 2 through 3. And so may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, we love you. Have a great day. And remember, Easter next Sunday, invite a friend. Love you.